I'm Karen Lewis, and thank you for listening to Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. This podcast is about life in recovery from an eating disorder. The good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges. Episodes will include stories from fully recovered professionals about the sometimes sad, sometimes painful, but always beautiful accounts from their recovery. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone. We're in for a really beautiful episode today. My guest for today's podcast is Emily Estes, and she is a dietitian in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I adore her. Emily and I met about a year or two ago at a business meeting, and the moment we sat next to each other, we knew our energy was going to connect instantly. It was one of those kind of friendships. What we talk about in the podcast is that when you are in your eating disorder, you are missing these beautiful opportunities for connection with people around you. Because even if you engage with them, there is still the emotional block of the eating disorder between you and other. So unfortunately, you can connect but the connection does not really grab hold because you yourself are in a bit of a disconnect. Emily is fantastic. The other thing that I think is really funny about this podcast is something that listeners don't know about me. After a long day of working with clients and holding trauma narratives and holding eating disorder behaviors and fears and and everything that comes with being in this field, which I love, I still need to power down at the end of the day. And my way of powering down is watching the funniest, cleanest, most mindless, if that's even a term, comedies at the end of the day. Now, because I have very little ability to concentrate sometimes at the end of the day, what really works for me is the same mindless, funny, clean comedies, because then I don't really have to pay attention, but I still laugh. So here's a deep, dark secret. I watch Everybody Loves Raymond pretty much every night because it just makes me laugh. Obviously, I watch it a little too much because I start saying something at the end of the podcast and I'm actually about to say everybody, I stop myself after everybody, but I recognize, wow, I need to watch a new show. (laughs) All right, everyone. I hope you enjoy the podcast and have as much fun as, as we did. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. 
We have on our show today, Emily Estes, who is a dietitian in Lincoln, Nebraska. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. This really means a lot. It's good to be here. I am so thrilled to have you. So Emily and I know each other because we met, and this this often is, is the case where professionals meet in the field, we're on business trips together, and I swear to you, it was like an instant connection. We were sitting next to each other, and you could just feel the energy between the two of us. And the reason why I say that is because that doesn't happen in an eating disorder. You and I would not have had these sparks between us, this interest in talking, any of this stuff. So again, just another fact about being recovered. There are so many people out in the world that you just need to meet. So That is just my opening about Emily. So Emily, can you please tell us a little bit about who you are and about your dietitian practice, Sage Nutrition? Love to hear all about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can never leave out the fact that I am fifth generation on a family farm, and that has very much shaped and molded um, who I am today. Um, And while I don't live on the farm um, currently, I live pretty far away from it, actually, just the work ethic, the passion and the drive that I have um, is something that was instilled in in me um, through growing up there. So still very much a part of who I am, but um, I came to Lincoln, Nebraska when um, I came for college and pursued my education in dietetics. And that's also when I had the opportunity to pursue recovery as well. We didn't have resources available to us um, in the rural area of Nebraska. And so um, I think, you know, that's probably part more of a conversation, but of pursuing an education in dietetics while also pursuing recovery. I think that often happens with us as professionals. Um, And my passion has really been just because I witnessed the lack of community, the lack of resources when I was going through my process, my passion, um, while I've been in recovery is to not only be able to serve as a dietitian in this community, but to um, create a network amongst professionals so that we have resources available. We know who we can refer to in our community. And then I just found that a lot of us were didn't have the education in eating disorders. And so um, part of my mission has been, I'm the co-founder of the Nebraska Eating Disorder Network. And um, with that, we provide networking, but we also provide free continuing education for um, providers in our community uh, throughout the state of Nebraska. um, So that, you know, even if somebody isn't interested in working in this area full time, they can just get a little bit of information, um, put their toes in the water there and um, have a little bit more insight so that if they are exposed to it, they know what to do, who to refer to um, and how to go about that process. It's so important, I think, for clinicians to get some training on eating disorders or in eating disorders. I'm not sure how that goes, because it is important to know what to ask. Even if somebody doesn't come to you with an eating disorder, even if as a dietitian they're not coming to you 
for an eating disorder, it is important to have some training. Just like we or I have some training in working with substance abuse and working with personality disorders. So I love that you provide that. And I love that you took the initiative to create it because it wasn't there. Yeah, it absolutely was not here. And it was such a barrier for me. I mean, it was so frustrating as a client to be in a community and feel like I didn't have a team. I didn't have, um, I had these individuals who were helping me, but um, to be able to have that team approach. um, And then we just, we didn't have um, any higher levels of care here in Nebraska. And so my personal mission has been to be able to bridge that gap of resources. So while we don't have anything in Lincoln right now for a higher level of care, um, that is my professional mission to be able to accomplish that within this community. It's fantastic, fantastic and necessary. And I'm also imagining that there's a lot of people right now that are listening that don't have access to care, don't have access to treatment teams. Do you have any feedback or advice if somebody is needing to sort of put their team together bit by bit? I I know I wasn't actually anticipating going in this direction, but what kind of resources should they be looking for? I have actually been getting, you know, emails from people that are in other parts of the country or in other countries who have listened to this podcast who said, just this has been helpful. Oh, for sure. What are some other resources? Yeah. And I mean, one thing I would touch on, um, and I feel like you've touched on this in your podcast throughout, is that we have to be advocates for ourselves. And I think that that can be so exhausting when you're in the midst of an eating eating disorder. Um, It's hard to find enough emotional, mental capacity and physical energy to be able to continue to be an advocate. But um, I guess that's what I found in my personal experience of like requesting that, you know, if I did find a provider that like, I need you to talk to my other providers, I need us to all be on the same page. Um, And so really advocating for that communication amongst providers. I think COVID has been interesting in the sense that it has forced us to go virtual. And in in some ways, like that, I feel like it's almost opened the access to care um, because providers have been able to go to a virtual platform. Um, and I think we've all developed some level of comfort with it. Might still be a little bit uncomfortable, but I mean, it's something that we've had to do. And I, I think it's opening the door as for more resources. So I'm hopeful that, you know, in my state of Nebraska, the rural areas will be able to see that and have much more, um, motivation to reach out for that support and to accept it virtually. Um, And I think you have to kind of weigh that a little bit of, yeah, it would be ideal to be able to see somebody in person. But if you're in the middle of a rural state, that virtual option is better than nothing. And so to kind of be flexible with that as well. Let me ask, if you were in a state that had really minimal services, what motivated you? So uh, how did you or was it a person? Was it a thing? Like, what was your motivation to not only do this, but kind of do it on your own? Yeah, 
Um, so this is a date that is like very specific in my memory, but February 24th of 2011, um, consequences of my eating disorder led me to the doctor's office and it wasn't my normal doctor because it was more of an emergency situation. And so I saw somebody that I wouldn't typically see very, um, abrupt <laughs> individual. And I mean, I'm really grateful for her because she asked me the question, like, do you want to live or do you want to die? And it was the first time that somebody posed a question to me, um, that really made me do a reality check that the consequence of what I was doing could eventually lead to death. Um, and my instinctual response, like without even thinking about it, was like, I want to live. Like, and so as much as in my disorder, like I kind of been pursuing the opposite of that um, and not living fully, it was that just moment in time where like for myself, I was saying, I want to live. And that wasn't for anybody else. Um, but I really am grateful for that question that forced me to own that for myself and gave me a reason to start fighting for myself. And, um, I mean, that was a turning point for me. I was fortunately in college and I had a lot of free time. I went back to my apartment and for about three months time, I stayed in my apartment and I started working on an affirmation book um, that I've called Affirming Me, Diminishing Ed. And I just took all of these negative messages from magazines and books and I transformed the letters and words into affirmations. And that's what that was what was pivotal for me um, because somebody finally asked the question that I think other people may have been afraid to ask me. Um, and it just made me really realize I do want to live. And in order to do that, I have to figure out for me what is going to motivate me to do that. I am so like, I, I am, I'm envisioning this book that you created, this affirmation book, that is, by the way, this is what I always say. This is what I mean when I say to clients, if you took the energy that you're putting into your eating disorder and put it into recovery, it is amazing what you would do. Emily, you could have spent three months at home going over magazines, trying to find the best diet, trying to say to that doctor, ha, ha, I'm not going to die. Yet instead, you took negative images and created positive affirmations for yourself. Yeah, it's incredible. Um yeah, it's something I hold very dearly because that was the turning point. And it was something I caught you say earlier, I think it was in reference to the Nebraska Eating Disorder Network, is you use the word creativity. And um, I think we can use that in so many regards. And for me, that's something that I didn't, I wasn't having an outlet for. And so um, even though this field of work is my career and it's my job, it doesn't feel like that because this that's where I get that creative outlet. I love to write. I love to you know work on those things like the affirmation book um, and have that positive outlet for all of that energy happening inside of me. I, I'm so blown away by this book. Do you, I'm, I'm assuming you still have it. Yeah, I, let me grab a copy of it over here. It's just on my bookshelf here. When you say grab a copy of it, is this a published book? Yeah. Okay. I'm so <laughs> sorry. So <laughs> that's okay. So maybe everybody, I did not do all my homework in reading the paperwork. <laughs> Emily, 
it's not, I mean, it's very like, um, very simple of, um, and then the inside of it is just like the words and the letters turned into affirmations. So um, just messages that I needed to hear. Um, like this page is just like you are, and it's a bunch of words of, that remind me of everything that I am rather than everything, you know, so often I think we get caught in the everything that I'm not and I'm not enough. Um, and so just pages like that to remind me that um, I do have something to offer this world. Um, and I am somebody, I am worthy and I have, um, I'm here for a reason. So that's what was helping me to discover what that reason was. Okay, so first note to self and then note to listeners. Note to self, do more than read just what the guest wrote in their packet about their questions that they wanted to talk about because I did not read all of your packet, obviously, or I would have known that. I also want to say note to listeners, it's okay to make a mistake. Own it. So here I am in the middle of a podcast saying, wow, here's where I didn't do something correctly, own it, and it's okay. And it's actually a little bit funny, don't you think? <laughs> it's a little bit funny. Own it and laugh at yourself and apologize. I want to apologize, Emily. That is a great, great book. I know as you were talking about other outlets, that you have a lot of other outlets. And I think that when we get out of our eating disorder mind, it is unbelievable what else we find to fill in. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when I was growing up on a family farm, like that's, that is what I envisioned for the rest of my life that I would go back to the farm and like, and not that I am so passionate about it. It doesn't minimize that experience at all, but like my life was not contained to that. Um, and it's something that, you know, I often have to go back to my dad and just express like immense gratitude because it's difficult that I'm not back there helping out. But also I want to tell him like so often of look at all of these skills and abilities that you've given and you've helped to instill in me for me to take out into the world. And so, um, I find it funny because I, I feel like I could be sitting in front of you, my hair up in a mess, uh, messy bun or my farm hat that has like 10 years of grease and oil on it. Um, or like a nice suit that, you know, I'm out presenting or something. And so sometimes I feel like, gosh, am I being authentic to who I am? Because like, I feel like I'm always dressing apart. And then I have to step back and realize that, you know, the farm is an outlet for me being outside amongst creation is also like, you know, gardening in my yard and speaking um, professionally and um, working with individuals who struggle with eating disorders. All of these are authentic to who I am. Um, and I love that I don't have to fit into a mold and only like dress one way. Um, but yeah, so if I go to the grocery store, or Lincoln is small enough. So I mean, sometimes you see your clients out and about. Um, and so I was like, yeah, you might see me like my baseball cap on backwards and like just whatever. Um, 
And that's still like who I am. Um, I don't need to, I think it's so encouraging to myself of like, I don't have to fit into a box um, or a stereotype of some kind. Which by the way, none of us are one dimensional except for when we're in the eating disorder. And we are not solely how we look, but it's fun to express ourselves in different ways, right? And so, you know, when I go to the office, I get dressed, I do this, I do my hair, I blah, 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 blah. My clients for the last three or four months have seen me working out of my home where I wear my hair in a ponytail. It, it is what, and, and by the way, clients are not coming to me to see, am I dressed up or am I not? Clients are not coming to me to see anything other than my eyes, my heart. What do I have to say? And if they are coming to me to see, make sure I'm dressed appropriately, then I want to work through that with them because I'm more than my body. And by the way, it's also fun to do things like wear my sweatpants, then get really dressed up to go somewhere. That's the beauty of life when you're not trapped in the, in one stereotype. And I think that, I mean, that it just speaks to like where you find your confidence. And like, I know, I mean, generally I am not somebody who likes to wear, you know, business suits and all professional clothing. I don't feel as confident in that. Like I want to be comfortable because when I'm comfortable, I'm confident. Um, and so that might be jeans and a t-shirt one day. And I love that, um, my clients have gotten to see (laughs) that shift, um, going virtually, but even in the office, sometimes I'm definitely like dressed down type of person. And I just, I mean, not that I have to justify that, but if that gets brought up in conversation, um, that is how I speak into that is I want to be confident when, um, or I want to feel comfortable because when I'm comfortable, I feel confident, um, and can work so much better, um, and be able to focus on what I'm doing. Yeah. And you want to be seen as human. And as a human, there are times when you're farming, there's times when you're gardening, there's times when you're a dietitian and they're all parts of you. Even if you walk into your, your dietitian office, wearing your farming clothes, you're still a dietitian. It's not. And I do think, and I'm only using my own experience. When I was in my eating disorder, I thought there was one way to look. And by the way, it wasn't a way that I felt comfortable. And, you know, listeners have heard me say this before in the podcast. I, like you, feel more confident the more comfortable I am. I wear very flowy clothing because I feel confident and beautiful and grounded in all this stuff. When I was in my eating disorder, I thought there was only one way to look. And it wasn't something that made me feel good about myself. And I've also seen pictures of you in your farming gear. And I I love it. It makes me (laughs) smile so much every time I see it. So do you, getting, getting back to the work that you do, so as a dietitian, do you ever get triggered working with clients? Do you ever get triggered talking about calories, weight, carbohydrates, fats, things like that? And not, by the way, forgive me for interrupting, not that the eating disorder is just about food, but in this this moment, that's what we're talking about. 
Yeah, um, that's a great question. There is one um, memory that stands out for me in particular, and I had um, I had taught a class um, for a local organization, and as a part of that, we had given away like a free session to somebody, and so that gal came into my office, um, and we were having a conversation, and she looked at me. Um, she was somebody who she was trying to justify a lot of diet mentality, a diet, a lot of diet approach, and she looked at me and she said, "Well." you have obviously never struggled with your weight. And I was just really early on for me in my career. And um, I just went off on her. And I, I mean, it just, it was just impulsive. And like, I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, you have no idea what my story is. And that moment really, it was difficult for me because I recognized immediately, like I did not handle that well. Um, and I canceled the rest of my week in the office and I went back to the farm <laughs> to utter silence and open space to be able to contemplate that and to know that if I am going to move forward in this profession, like there are going to be moments where things that are challenging, I'm going to hear things that are challenging, um, that I am going to be questioned about my, and there's going to be assumptions made of me. Um, and I was able to do that. And so it's not that like, I don't ever hear things that are challenging for me, but that particular instance was very eye-opening and very um, transformational for me because I was able to step back, assess, okay, how am I going to respond to this moving forward? Because everybody is in a different place and I know where I'm at in my journey. Um, to me, it's a non-negotiable to go backwards as far as behavior or engaging in any of that. And so what do I need to do to not engage in those statements, um, but rather to help people process that, help people to understand and open their eyes to the reality of some of those comments that might come out. Mm -hmm. Why is it non-negotiable for you to go back? And the reason I say for you, because it's different for me. It's different for the last guest I had on. It's different for everybody. Why is it non-negotiable for you to go back into the eating disorder? I think when I was in my eating disorder, I didn't have an understanding of everything I had to lose. I was so self-absorbed. Um, and to me, like, it was just like, I'll lose myself. And that was no big deal. Um, but in a part of my process of recovery was right when my sister also started having children. And, um, to me, like if I had to step back and like pick one non-negotiable, it's my nieces. Um, I want to be a part of their life. Um, I mean, not just a non-negotiable is myself also, but I would lose relationships. I would lose a career that I'm incredibly passionate about. I, um, you know, I've grown in my faith and spirituality through all of this. Like there's so much more to lose because I have a greater understanding of who I am as an individual and what makes me up. And it's non-negotiable for me to step away from those things or to compromise those relationships. Um, and everything that I've gained throughout the process of recovery. Are you able to talk about or talk to your faith and spirituality within the recovery process? Is that something you feel? Because I, 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 I'm hearing people right now being like, I want to hear about the faith and spirituality part. So if Emily, that would be great. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. 
you know, a, a big moment for me, I don't have a lot of these in my life where like, you just remember a specific moment so clearly. I love those things. And there was one day I was sitting at a stoplight. Um, it was at 33rd and Holdridge in Lincoln, Nebraska. I remember exactly where I was. Um, and an ambulance drove by and, um, I was like, my first instinct was, God, I really hope that the people that they're going to or the people that they have with them are okay. Um, I just got goosebumps a little bit because it, and then I just, I just sat there and I was like, Emily, you just thought of somebody else before you thought of yourself. You didn't think of like the inconvenience that we have to stop because there's an ambulance going by. And it was just this um, entrance into like, there's something so much bigger than you. So whatever it is that your faith and spirituality is in, whoever that higher power is for you, like it doesn't like you, if you have something greater than yourself that you believe in, um, you get to be a part of something so much bigger. And I think that that's pretty incredible. I grew up in a very legalistic religion. And so part of, you know, coming to college was also stepping away from all of that for a long time. And so that moment in my recovery was really um, pivotal also because it was kind of a re-entrance into pursuing, um, getting back into that relationship with my faith. Mm. It's also, it's, it's so, again, we get so much farther away from what we want when we're in the eating disorder. And as you move towards being recovered, you get, I know, and again, I always say, I speak from my own experience. Not only did I want to be part of a bigger thing than myself, I wanted to be comfortable in that. I I didn't even know how to be comfortable in the world that I kept looking at, like with a with a glass wall in between me. I wanted it, but even if I got there when I was in my eating disorder, I wouldn't have felt comfortable in it. And so I don't even know, Emily, if you would have been comfortable in a world bigger than yourself, if you or even recognized it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think, I mean, part of recovery is, you know, opening the door for relationships. And to me, like faith is a relationship to some degree that we have. And I think that's also kind of the (laughs) um, interesting part of the ironic part of it is sometimes we think of faith and spirituality as something good. Um, And it is, it's really good. But when you enter into that, it can become a little bit more challenging because also there's a value system. There is um, an accountability system within that. And so sometimes it gets a little bit harder because you want to continue to pursue that and grow within it. Um, and that's challenging. You have to be vulnerable in that. And so it's not always easy within that. Um, it's not all butterflies and rainbows and (laughs) God makes everything good. Um, there are challenges and, um, part of recovery is being able to be vulnerable to that process of working through those. A large part of the recovery process is the vulnerability, which is so frightening right? I I didn't want anybody to see my vulnerabilities, which by the way, now I recognize as strong, beautiful parts of myself. My vulnerabilities make me the beautiful soul that I am. Yet when I was in my eating disorder, my vulnerabilities, I was so embarrassed of and so ashamed of. So it is a, it is a large part of like moving into vulnerability. Yeah. 
one thing um, that just popped into my mind around vulnerability is that I don't know if people are familiar with the Enneagram, but I'm a four on the Enneagram, which um, I would historically have said, like, I don't have feelings. I am my feelings. (laughs) And so with the vulnerability, um, it's just been a process of being okay, having those feelings and understanding how to express them in a healthy way. I didn't know how to do that when I was younger. Um, and often they came out in very unproductive ways, which just made me feel like I had to silence them and bury them because I didn't know how to express them healthfully. And so, um, it is vulnerable to share a lot of emotions for me. Um, but that has been a huge part of becoming a healthier version of myself and being vulnerable with everyone that I'm in relationship with. Yeah. I don't know if everybody does know what the Enneagram is. So can you explain it? Um, I'll try to briefly. Um, I think sometimes it gets thrown into the category of like personality tests, but essentially like there's nine different numbers. Um, And what I appreciate about it is that it doesn't box you into a certain trait or a box of any kind, but it's much more fluid amongst the numbers. And so um, in the assessments, you kind of begin to understand what's your more dominant number. Um, And then kind of, there's wings to that. So I'm a four with, um, I haven't really discovered if I'm a three wing or a five wing, but, um, you're able to see where do I go when I'm in a healthy place? Where do I go when I'm in an unhealthy place? And that's what I really appreciate about it is that it's been able to help me recognize like, what is my core desire? What is my um, core fear? And, um, then how can I move to be in a healthier place within that space? I love, I love that. And I'm wondering how you bring that into your work with clients, because as a dietitian, I'm imagining when you ask them, what is your core desire? What is your core fear? It, it stems a lot around the food. And so how do you work with that? So uh, I'm actually just in the process. I just started um, a group that I'm calling the brink because I have this handful of clients that I feel like has one step in their eating disorder. They have a step in recovery and it's like the brink of the decision making, like it's time to make a decision. Um, And so as a part of that, I've brought the Enneagram into it. And it's been fascinating because, um, and like, I'm just exploring what that means in relationship to food, because um, while it's not my place to process a lot of the stuff that comes up um, within that, um, they have wonderful therapists that can do that with them. It does raise the issue of how am I using food to manage this core fear that I have, or how am I using food to try to achieve this desire that I have? Um, but the conversation that has arise from all of the group members, um, pursuing, understanding their Enneagram number is just been, uh, I just feel like clients have taken 10 steps forward. Um, it's been really awesome to watch because there's just this understanding of like, we have personality traits. 
And those personality traits influence how we engage um, either with our eating disorder or how we engage in recovery. And so they've been able to kind of understand how am I using this toward negative behaviors? How can I shift that toward engaging in more positive behaviors? Um, so that's been really cool to see. And I'm really excited to just continue digging into that to understand how can we use that more and more in relationship to um, food and body image. This is also where we were saying earlier in the in the interview, how can you use the energy that you're putting towards your eating disorder towards something healthy? Because by the way, I was going to say it's the same amount of energy, but sometimes it isn't. Sometimes even though you think the eating disorder is easy, like, ah, uh, it's easy. I do it all the time. It's actually more difficult. And Sometimes, not always, but sometimes it can be easier to go the route towards health and quicker to get what you want. I think what comes into play there is that it's uncomfortable. So though it might be easier, it's uncomfortable. And so I feel like that's the biggest barrier that I'm working with people so often is the discomfort that's associated with it rather than the ease of a different behavior or not. That's why they're on the brink. Yeah. Yep. They all um, listen to your podcast. And so that exactly what you just said of like the energy that we put into the disorder and how we can use that is a theme that we've gained from listening to you. Um, so I so appreciate that. Um, and yeah, that's been hugely beneficial of just looking at how we're utilizing that energy. And that it does take energy to engage in your eating disorder. It's not easy or simple. It is not. It is not. And again, it's it's just like anything new that we try. So when you try the recovery process, it does feel like all your energy is going into it and it's exhausting. I know that when I used to run residential programs, at the end of the day, clients were so exhausted. And they're like, why am I so tired? I'm just sitting around. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're doing more, more work than you've done in years. The emotional, the mental gymnastics, the trying to push through to get to the other side is exhausting. Once you get there though, it's amazing. And when I say it's amazing, Again, the reason for this podcast, it's not all rainbows and butterflies, right? It is life and you learn how to navigate through life in a healthy way. Do you, I was going to say, do your clients know that you're recovered? But I'm assuming since you're doing this podcast, they do. Um, <laughs> I haven't told them I'm doing this podcast actually, um, but yeah, some, most of them do. Um, but only at a point where it is, I feel that it's appropriate to interject with that. What I appreciate just being able to say to them, um, at any given point is like, I get it. I've been there. And I also know that it's very possible for you to, you know, take that next step. Um, of being able to point out the potential that I see in them um, and just to be able to relate to them in that way. So that's kind of more the approach that I take with it. But 
um, if they hop on my website or anything like that, like they're exposed to the fact that I am in recovery. I'm pretty vocal about it. I speak about it. Um, but, um, I'm a little bit more, um, have more boundaries around how in depth I go into that conversation with them. And so as appropriate, I will do that. I think that it can be really powerful for them, um, for them to understand that, um, I traveled that road, um, and that I'm in it with them. Yes. What about, as you're talking about disclosure or I'm talking about disclosure and things like that, now you having these other beautiful parts of self, the parts that does the farming and the gardening and all that, it's not about disclosing, but do you ever bring that in? I, I remember once when I was at a farm and I remember looking at potatoes was it potatoes? It was something that was just coming up out of the earth. And I thought, God, I want to bring the clients here. They're so afraid of this. And look at it's being created in the earth and it is coming. And so do you ever bring that up or bring that into your nutrition sessions? For sure. Um, especially, uh, you know, a huge part of our farm is um, raising cattle. And I think, you know, I totally respect individuals who are vegetarian, vegan, and all of that. Um, for me, um, my story involves eating meat. And so um, being raised on a farm and understanding um, how we treat the animals and how we care for them. And even, I mean, even growing corn, like there's such this process of like beginning to end, like life to death. Um, and I think there's so many metaphors within that. Um, but there's so much care, compassion, and love that goes into that process. Um, we don't wake up at two or three in the morning to pull a baby calf and bring it into this world and, you know, stay up with it all night, um, for the fun of it. Like there is something about the love and the connection to the earth and those animals that drives us to do that as farmers. And so I just like to raise that in conversation with people, not to change their mind about what they're pursuing, but to challenge maybe their perspective or their understanding of um, what that experience is like within the farm and um, how actually there's so much life that goes into that and just love and compassion. Yeah. Life and love and beauty. And somehow in our culture, in our mind, from our traumas, from our experiences, from whatever, it got turned around and became poison. Food to me was like almost like eating poison when I was in the first beginning stages of recovery and trying to refeed myself. I also know that when I was in my eating disorder, um, I was a quote unquote vegetarian. Now there's many, many conversations about things like that. And when there's a difference, there are people that especially, and I keep referring back to when I was working at treatment centers, if somebody came in and said that since they were six, they've been vegetarian, they there's no meat in their house, whatever it is, I'm always like, absolutely. That's why when you go to treatment centers, there's vegetarian options. Because not everybody with that's vegetarianism is dealing with an eating disorder. 
I, on the other hand, tried to take advantage of the term vegetarian, but obviously created my own vegetarian meal plan and basically just would go to restaurants and be like, oh, I'm vegetarian. Can I have the vegetable plate? And they're like, oh, do you want this, this, and this? I'd be like, nope, just vegetables. By the way, that's not a vegetarian. That's an, that's an eating disorder. Because a vegetarian could still have pasta, could still have this. I'd be like, no, 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 I'm vegetarian. Just all grilled vegetables, please. And I look back because my parents were like, are you kidding me? You were not raised vegetarian. Like, I, and I don't even re- recall how we just got down that avenue, but it just <laughs> is something that, you know, I, I used in my eating disorder other foods became too frightening for me. For me to eat like a quote unquote normal person, which I'm not sure what that means, was really scary. Because that meant that I wasn't suffering from something, which then meant I wasn't in emotional pain. Yeah, I can. Yeah. And um, I mean, to go back to the Enneagram as a four, like, um, if you were in a room of a hundred people and four people raised their hand to say that they were a four, because apparently we are rare. Um, we would all look around the room at the other three people and be like, you're not four enough. Like, because we want to be unique. We want to have something that is unique about us. And so, I mean, I think that comes out a lot in eating disorders where like, we do want to have the thing that separates us from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. And again, in my experience, what I wanted to use as unique to separate me also became my biggest fear. Meaning if I let's, and again, I'm using vegetarianism as a, as a example, if I thought it was cool to be a vegetarian, which is, you know, oh, I'm a healthy eater. I, you know, blah, blah, blah. I then literally became so afraid. I will never forget. I went to the supermarket once and I was going through the, through the aisles and I had my carriage and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it today. I'm going to buy chicken because by the way, I was, I am a meat eater. I'm a fish eater, all this stuff. And I looked at all the chickens and I put a packet of chicken in my bag, in my cart. And Emily what I used to think was super cool that I was only eating vegetables. I seriously thought, I felt like the entire supermarket went dark and there was a big spotlight on me. And they were like, uh, everyone, there's somebody in aisle three that thinks she's a normal person who can actually eat chicken. Everybody, there's somebody in aisle three who thinks she's normal and can eat chicken. And I was so afraid of what other people were thinking that I took it out of my cart and put it back. And I was like, nope, I'll try it again another time. Wow. Yeah. I think that story is all too common too. Yeah. Everything I used in my eating disorder that I thought was going to make me feel better made me feel worse. It is common. It is a common story, unfortunately. You know, I feel like we've been talking quickly because I'm very excited. Like I, I love talking with you and I love seeing you and I'm sorry that I get to see you and listeners don't. I want to ask you a few more questions and then we're going to have to start winding down. So what is something about yourself that took the longest for you to understand or accept as you became a recovered person or through the process? 
Um, I think very simply that I am a deeply feeling person. I'm very empathetic. And, you know, if I go somewhere, I'm around other people, I take all of that on. And so for me, it was, it's been a long time to get to the place of being able to kind of separate out what's mine and what's others. Um, and that, that is actually an incredible gift to be able to understand what others are going through. Um, and to not have to put myself in their shoes specifically, or I, that I don't have to have walked the same journey that they have, but that I can empathize with them and walk with them. Um, and for myself, that there is a healthy way to express every single emotion. Um, I'll never forget, like anger was one of my very first emotions that um, I was trying to identify and find a healthy outlet for. And I'll never forget in treatment, like all my therapists wanted me to do was to hit a chair with a pool noodle and I couldn't do it. I'm like, I don't want to hurt anything. Um, and so of getting to this place of understanding what those healthy outlets are and um, that it is definitely okay to express what we're going through. Yeah. And it's okay to feel. And as we get more comfortable expressing them, we don't have to go to the degree of hitting a chair with a pool noodle. We know how to actually walk through our anger, understand the function of it, understand why it's there and what needs to be done to walk through it. I think emotions, when, when clients start feeling emotions again, it's very frightening for them. Not only are they afraid of their emotions, but because they've been pushing them down for so long, they feel exaggerated. So anger feels exaggerated. Even happiness feels exaggerated. And that going back to that feeling of discomfort, that's very uncomfortable, right? It's, yeah, incredibly. I'm trying to imagine you though. I'm trying to picture you with a a chair and a, and a pool noodle. And so did you ever hit it? I am curious. No, not in treatment. I um, absolutely didn't. Um, it wasn't until like a couple of years later, my best friend um, took me to a park um, here in Lincoln and she had a pool noodle in the back of her car. And she's like, okay, I'm like, you're going to hit this tree. Like I, yeah, I was having a terrible day. And she's like, you're, we're going to do this together. Um, and there was just something about being with this individual who had walked the trenches with me. Um, she got me and that was safe for me to do that. Um, I still like, that's not something that's high on my, um, outlets <laughs> for today. I would prefer not to do that. Um, but, um, yeah, just being able to scream or like do kickboxing or like something productive is those are the things that I found to be so, so much more of an outlet or just write, like write out what I'm feeling, um, do some artwork that gets that, um, expression out because emotions, just energy, like it's just something that has to come out of us. Um, and so, yeah, I've definitely found a lot of alternatives to be able to get that energy out. And sometimes you need to use something like a pool noodle and hit a tree. And that's okay, too. I remember when you and I met at this on-site training and the energy that we got out because we did a self-defense class together because the program was teaching to their clients self-defense. and. I, I, 
Emily, I was like, I was afraid to hit you. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I was afraid to do the same. Yeah. But when we were doing it, I remember afterwards saying, oh my God, I can't believe, I actually feel phenomenal right now. And again, we're not condoning violence. That's not, but, but sometimes you do need to do that. That's why a DBT skill is to throw ice. Sometimes you need to get that release. We were all laughing after we did the self-defense course. I think partially because of nervousness, because we were like, did I just almost hit somebody? And also partially because we had such a release. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, when you spoke to before, just like the sparks flying of like, just being able to have that sense of connection with you. I hadn't met you prior to that event. Um, But like, there was just this common ground and this sense of connection that made that a safe experience. Um, So yeah, it was really incredible to be able to go through that. We did that like three hours after meeting each other. Yeah. (laughs) It was a great day. Emily, it has been such a pleasure. Is there anything before we wind down completely, anything that I didn't ask or anything that you want to share? I just, um, you know, having walked through this journey, as you know, personally, um, I want people to know that full recovery is absolutely possible. Um, that's so important for people to, for you know, that I hope people understand that they don't have to be in the battle for the rest of their life. They don't have to just be trying to survive, but that you can actually thrive. And I think it's finding that outlet that you can you find a sense of purpose, um, that you can put all of that energy that because you're investing energy into an eating disorder. And if you choose to invest that into something different, um, you're going to change the world. And I think there's a lot of really creative, passionate individuals who are struggling right now. And I just want you to know that like you can change the world, um, not necessarily for everybody else, but like you can change your world and it can be a really incredible experience. Well said, really beautiful and articulate. Thank you. So Emily, as always, before we end the podcast, I always ask a question. And your question is, if someone were to write about you on the bathroom stall, what would it say? So the funny thing is, is this actually happened to me in like third grade, (laughs) Um, which resulted in me and my um, four classmates having to, well, there are four girls in my class. We had to clean the bathroom with toothbrushes. So um, I won't do tell anybody again if that happens, but um, now that we can laugh about it, you know, I would, I don't know what they would write, but what I would hope that they would write is that Emily is a little weird um, because that's something that totally would have offended me before, but I embrace that today um, to the fullest and I want to be weird. I want to be unique um, and I want the world to know me as something different, um, but something good. So. That would be my hope. I love it. And if listeners could see you now the way I see you, you're saying this and you're beaming. So you're saying this is okay. It's okay. I am weird. I am different and I own it. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. (laughs) Emily, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for taking the time today. Thank you so much. It's so good to connect with you again. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. All right, everyone. So that 
is a wrap for this episode of Everybody Everybody Bites. What was I saying, everyone? <laughs> of Recovery Bites. Wow, this is a good ending, you guys. So Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. And I look forward to talking to all of you again next week. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. And I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe to future shows by searching Recovery Bites on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. All right, everybody, be well, and thanks for listening to my Bite for the Week. <laughs>